This is the Saxo Market Call, the daily financial markets podcast across asset classes and around the world. Hello and welcome to the Saxo Market Call. It is Friday, 25th of August, 2023, and it's Jackson Hole Day with Fed Chair Powell set for a speech later today. We've been talking about that all this week. Uh, could he be set to deliver very little to nothing, or could we get some very interesting long-term hints that the market doesn't really pick up on? Or does he say something dramatic that the market has a lot uh, to think about and chew on and, and spark a lot of volatility? Uh, I'm not really sure. I, I my, my vote is somewhere along the lines of not saying much about the short term, but possibly providing some interesting hints on the long term. But um, that's just a preview to uh, what will be happening later today, and we'll round it up next week. Peter, in the meantime, we have this obsession with uh, NVIDIA. We talked about the fundamentals of what they reported yesterday, this blowout results and, and incredible guidance. And the, the market reaction in off hours saw the stock higher still, opens higher, and then it closes or it sort of sells off all day long. Seems to me when you look at the activity in the options market, which we've shown a bit as well, that this is just related to the derivatives tail wagging the dog more than it is any kind of informational takeaway. You just saw volatility is crushed across the board. And I've got a slide on that in a moment as well. So I don't know if that's what that drove the entire market, but the more or less the entire market did the same thing as uh, Nvidia stock yesterday. Yeah, it's um, yeah. You have that uh, volatility collapse on on slide three. It was a pretty dramatic session, right? It it, it started above five hundred per share, and then it sold off uh, all the way into the basically the intraday session low was the close, um, down more than six percent. That's a pretty ugly uh, bar, and it sort of translated also into the broader indices, the S and P five hundred futures, the Nasdaq one hundred futures. So, I think the technical setup here is is still bad. It still I think confirms potentially that we. We're not going. We were not going to um, to bounce back from um, from 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 that downtrend. We're in. I think it confirms that we are in a downtrend. You also saw inside the the equity sectors that the the rotation <clears throat> and the you know the preference of defensive sectors won out again. Uh, they outperformed the uh, the cyclical sectors there. So, and if you look at the if you look at the theme baskets, the uh, I've, I've sorted on the months to date. Sometimes it's it's a good to thing to zoom out and. I just think it's interesting to see commodities, nuclear power, and defense stocks being up there. It's really those mm, themes that yeah. correlates very well with the fragmenting world. You know, the rearming, the restocking, the things we've talked about. The POSA ideas um, really doing quite well, and then you have the MSI world there as the fourth best uh, uh, basket, if you can call it that. And then you have that long tail of bleeding across all the different. Uh, theme so not a pretty setup here and the uh, just uh, pr the approximate uh, uh, last few days of action with the pattern reversal there bearish engulfing really ugly when you look at the cash indices those candlesticks there so it is a bearish uh, setup until proven otherwise um, and then you can look at the S&P 500 chart we provided there on slide two arguably a little bit of a head and shoulders formation some very tiny shoulders and a very big head but uh, it is what it is, and I think it does, uh, uh, you know, many talking about this 43.50 area, so will be the next test of support. We talked about the NVIDIA circus. It's just to emphasize what happens to these, uh, these these option structures, and you look at there on slide three, as you mentioned, those are all calls and puts of various strikes. What's interesting, of course, here is that we have the implied volatility of 100 plus percent, and when you get the actual results, look at all the movement in the stock. We ended the day, don't you know it? almost unchanged. That means that every single option lost value from close to close, especially because the uh, volatility, implied volatility, uh, so the time value, and, and then of course the time value collapsed because we already got the information. The information was what was in the earnings. 
So just uh, I think this kind of activity we have Friday expiry today for these uh, for these options that were all the most traded yesterday, the 25th of August options, and uh, just those dynamics clearly uh, driving the market action yesterday. On Jackson Hole, I just would point you to uh, Jim Bianco Research on Twitter, or X if you want to call it that, uh, Bianco Research. Great follow. He had some interesting comments. I would actually push back against the notion that the Fed can pretend it has any independence. So uh, although I really uh, I think he's a great follow and uh, always appreciate what he has to say, they may put up this fight that's saying, well, we just need to do what's right for the economy to fight inflation and indicate longer-term higher yields, et cetera, because of the uh, risks of inflation. And it's up to Congress and the Treasury to do something about uh, these uh, debt dynamics. But in the long run, that will not be how it works. The Treasury will tell uh, the Fed exactly what it needs to do. There's a good chart there as well, by the way, on this incredible rise in the uh, 12-month sum of the federal government interest expenses, which have gone from something like uh, sub-half a trillion uh, during the pandemic to pushing $900 billion. And of course, as they roll into these higher yields with the the you know, most of it finance or the average financing or duration is something like two or three years. This this will just continue to go northward. Yeah, and it's 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 interesting when you read the commentary from uh, Bianco. Um, you know, this whole fiscal dominance that it's it's the the interest payment by the U.S. government, which is accelerating pretty crazy right now, is a uh, is a problem. And um, and if, if the, as you said, if the Fed says, oh, we we were independent, basically, it's not our problem. It's the Congress that needs to deal with this. But it, there's an interesting dynamic here. We've talked about this before. What what if you if you hike interest rates a lot, which have happened, you also increases the the passive incomes from from the debt into the economy. This it's called the new fisherism. That's the a different economic school thinking, and it actually has a has a base inside the Fed that where the the causality is actually the opposite of what we typically talk about. That, that if you have very low interest rates, you're also sending very little income from the from the debt into the economy. So you actually you, you actually create a low inflationary environment. But as soon as you increase the interest rate like this, yes, there is some drag on the or headwinds for the economy. But on the other hand, you're also pumping a lot of income into the economy. And as we have talked about, people with a lot of wealth and savings can actually now begin reduce. Um, reduce the amount of savings they they have and the capital needed to have a passive income that is attractive, and thereby they can consume more. And then you have suddenly a very different feedback loop. So I think it's uh, economics um, is not is not very simplistic and it's not very one dimensional. It's just, it's very complicated. Actually. And there's even uh, the complexity goes further. There was even a piece across my desk. I didn't even get a chance to read it, but making the argument that uh, adjusting the short rate so much without adjusting the long rate is actually uh, drives inequality. Yeah. Because it's the the longer, if you really want to slow the economy and and reduce um, asset valuations, it's the longer end that needs to rise quicker than than the short end. And of course, we've seen this profound inversion of the yield curve, and that's not happened either. All right, let's let's get back to the day to day here. We had the dollar, no big surprise, with this big shift in risk sentiment, uh, really just jumping higher uh, yesterday. And uh, I, I picked out the cable chart, so sterling versus the dollar, and showed it there on slide five. Uh, it does have a more sort of uh, well-defined head and shoulders formation, and it's breaking down through that. The sort of sub-126 levels being tested for the first time since June. Big loss of momentum after those horrible PMIs uh, out of the UK, uh, preliminary PMIs for August, and the crush uh, and the deflation, or the you know, sort of the you know, deflation, not in the UK, but the deflation of UK yields because we're taking out some of the anticipated rate tightening uh, from from the UK or from the Bank of England there. So uh, that's an interesting one. Also, whether Euro sterling has uh, aggressively reversed here. And let's see if Jackson Hole and or ECB today, Lagarde speaking late today, will 
will change the situation or sort of you know extend what we just saw yesterday. All right, I'll tell you, not huge drama in the rates market yesterday, but we did have a big move uh, prior to yesterday. So what's your take here on the uh, on the uh, Treasury market here? Uh, there was a 20-year auction order this week. And uh, yeah, just what's going on ahead of Jackson Hole here. Yes, John. So we had uh, seen um, a very, quite a, a good drop in yields uh, following uh, the PMI data out from Europe and also the US. Um, but um, I think that uh, what uh, was really interesting uh, was uh, seeing the 20 year and then 30 year tips uh, sale um, that uh, went through uh, on Wednesday and uh, yesterday. And uh, what we have seen is that uh, all these bond issuances uh, had uh, quite uh, um, they they had uh, um, they had everything set in place uh, to be very good uh, bond issuances because uh, we were seeing. Uh, Yields are dropping on the back of the PMI. We were seeing uh, the highest yields uh, in uh, decades, uh, and uh, in the case of the 20 year auction, the highest uh, yields uh, um, ever since uh, this uh, bond uh, issuance uh, was uh, reintroduced. But what happened is, this, uh, is that uh, um, amid this bond sale, uh, yields continued to rise. So both uh, uh, auction tailed uh, despite offering the highest yield. And while we have seen a decrease uh, of appetite for duration in uh, nominal uh, um, in uh, in uh, nominal securities in the 20-year uh, bond auction, uh, yesterday we have seen a lot, uh, uh, an increase uh, of appetite for 30-year tips from real money. So what can we take out from that? I think that the big message that these two auctions have uh, provided markets with is that investors are still reluctant uh, to buy into duration. And we might see the long part of the yield curve uh, increasingly volatile, while the front part of the yield curve uh, is going to be anchored somehow until the Federal Reserve uh, is going to say that it's done with interest rate hikes. Well, we still have that uh, short yield, uh, you know, despite the, the signs of recession in Europe. Uh, we still have uh, sufficiently strong U.S. data, it appears, to keep this this uh, short end, so the two-year, quite elevated. So the higher for longer, as you say, on slide seven, still in place. And and as I've indicated uh, from, from previous talks about Jackson Hole, you have since 2019 the Fed's long-term projection at 2.5%, the appropriate uh, Fed rate for the economy. The, the, the market is closer to 4%. So there's, there's still this very, the market is sort of accepting the higher for longer message for now. It seems so. And uh, it's not only for the US, but it seems also for Europe. Obviously, we are in a very uh, volatile uh, moment in time right now. Um, everything is possible. The, the market is very much confused about what are going to be the next steps of central banks on both sides of the Atlantic. And that's why we have this increase in volatility. But for the next couple of uh, months, uh, or two to three months, uh, I believe it's going to be very unlikely to see anybody cutting rates. And it's going to be also very hard uh, to see them aggressively hiking uh, because, as we have seen from the PMI this week, uh, the economy is clearly deteriorating. All right. Now, we have something interesting today going on for those of us in Europe, regula regulatory-wise, uh, Peter, and I actually saw something cross my Google screen this morning. I don't know if it was related to that, but this um, 
this EU Digital Services Act you have uh, passing today. Tell us, uh, you've got some thoughts on the implications of that. Yeah, I, I actually want to you know broaden it out a little bit and, and we don't really talk much about the EU and all the regulatory stuff that is actually going on. Um, it, you know, in the US, we always talk about, you know, um, the, can we service the debt and, 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 and the unfunded liabilities and all that? And, and that's the focus. But to me, it seems like we're completely missing some massive shifts in, 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 in regulation in the EU. We have this new, and we'll talk about it, the EU Digital Services Act, which goes into effect today. We have the EU's AI Act, which will come into effect later this year. We have the new carbon uh, cross-border tax uh, regime that is coming in, will completely fundamentally change a lot of things. There's so much regulation coming in, in Europe, and when you say regulation, often most people will think, oh, that's just bad. But it, regulation does not need to be uh, negative for growth or negative for uh, for a society. It just sets up the play uh, the playbook and the rules so you have a more efficient market. And I think there are a lot of positive things actually happening in the EU. And I know we all like to uh, you know say how bad EU the EU is, but I don't think it's 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 that bad. But let's come back to the EU's Digital Services Act. So it's um it's a it's a new piece of legislation that is aimed to set yeah create a new playbook for how digital advertising takes place. Um, there's a lot of things in it. Uh, one of them is that there are a couple of factors. You you cannot do personalized digital ads any longer where you discriminate or you you, you filter on gender, uh, sexual orientation, uh, political views, etc. So it's, um, and already now, uh, X, the former Twitter, is, 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 is in a hurry to control, for instance, you cannot have a lot of pictures of uh, swastikas on their, on, on their platform here in the EU. That's also part of the thing. So there's, there's a huge rust. And I think it was uh, Google said that had a thousand people working across departments to ensure that they are in compliance with this. This is, this is really, really big. So discrimination of ads or targeting of ads based on gender and these other things. But what about you know, if you like a certain hobby or something like that, is that is it across the board personalization, or is it just on these 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 sort of sensitive sensitive things? Categories? To, to, yeah, to begin with, and then they, just like with the we've talked a little bit about it, uh, like the AI regulation that is coming, there are four different risk classifications where you sort of increases the compliance uh, requirements. You have the same here with the Digital Services Act. So the companies of the social media and advertising companies that hit the hardest are the ones with more than 45 million active users on their services platform. So it, it's like it's uh, it's Pinterest, it's it's X, it's, it's Meta, yeah. it's all the big platforms, right? Yeah. And that's also why we've highlighted Google here because Google is obviously together with Meta one of the largest uh, advertising platforms in the world. Wow, interesting one. We'll have to watch what the impact uh, there is, and also how they enforce uh, such things with fines, etc. All right, earnings watch. It's still rumbling along. There's still always a, a name or two that's uh, these are companies that are reporting out of sync. So tell us what's coming up next week. Yeah, next week's uh, focus is um, I've highlighted in blue a couple of names. Um, on Tuesday, HP. I don't know how interesting it is, but it is, it's, it's still in uh, Barama. Need, need a printer cartridge, anyone? Yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> but this is uh, the HP has been broken into the enterprise business and the and the personal computing business. And the HP, which is the old name, is the personal computing business. And I mean, it, it's really important for the overall semiconductors industry. So we'll watch that. And then there's the there's the company Neo. Um, the whole talk about is there a bubble in uh, in electric vehicles? How are things going there? Let's watch that. And then Salesforce on Wednesday. Really, the top among the top six software companies in the uh, in the world, uh, super important. 
I'm very curious to see. I think it's a really good insight into uh, software spending from the from the rest of the corporate sector. CrowdStrike on uh, cybersecurity and then pure storage, which is part of our AI uh, theme basket, uh, an important one. Uh, they sell what is called flash array memory chips. So something that is very important, for instance, if you want to do a very high, high performance clustering computing, um, just like what Meta is trying with the metaverse. On Thursday, UBS Group, um, Interesting because of this merge, they merger they did with their Credit Suisse. Obviously, a lot of focus on cost controls and whether they can actually push through uh, and get the uh, the remnants of Credit Suisse absorbed into the group and push the profitability back to those very attractive levels that UBS had. Broadcom, one of the big suppliers of Apple, so that will be very important for that cost. And then we. Uh, I've highlighted Lululemon Athletica because it's it's one of those few consumer stocks that are actually grabbing market share and doing quite well. And then I promised yesterday on the podcast to update our um, our cumulative performance this year on uh, on twelve uh, months forward earnings estimates. Um, and as as I said, um, we we were likely to see a big jump there in expectations for the S and P five hundred IT sector and uh, because of Nvidia's results and. Here you go. You can see that very big jump there. So earnings estimates are, have, are now up more than 10% for the IT sector in the US and the S&P 500, because of that, is now getting closer and closer to uh, to Europe. Wow. <clears throat> Impressive stuff. So uh, let's look at the calendar for next week. I'm not going to go over it again. We have the times for the speeches today at Jackson Hole. Uh, we have a number of data points yesterday. The US is not uh, terribly interesting until later in the week. We have that uh, PCE deflator. On, on Thursday, but the Arizona, I think the inflation data for, for August will be very interesting. It's the flash uh, CPI data, though it's almost never revised, so might as well be the final one. For, for um, Spain, I believe it is, that starts it earlier in the week, and then we get Germany and the EU, and the EU is on Thursday there. So where that C, those CPI levels are relative to what's happening, of course, on the, on the growth front, and uh, yeah, and what the market sees vis-a-vis the ECB and the euro, which is uh, suffering in relative terms in FX, um, although not as much as as Sterling is. So uh, we'll look forward to that next week. Have a great weekend out there when you get there. And we'll be back on Monday with the Saxo Market Call. Thanks for listening. This has been the Saxo Market Call. For feedback and questions, reach out to us on Twitter at Saxo Market Call or by email, marketcall at saxobank.com.